Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. All right, David, I think that's up for sure. And away we go. All right. Thanks for being here, David. Um, you know, I just know you were, you know, just got a book out, and but you've not always been, not always have been an author. You've been in uh, what healthcare for thirty five years too. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So what? So it is. Was this something like after you the healthcare career, you decided to uh, start writing, or was that kind so, of both parts? What happened was I was the CEO of a community health center. Okay. And I'd been there about four years, um, and. Um, you know, they'd had some significant struggles. They had eight CEOs in eight years before I got there. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and they'd had some serious financial challenges. You know, it was a little not-for-profit. And uh, and they were just wonderful people. But they didn't have a good business sense, I would say. Okay. And so you know, over about four years, you know, with some consistent leadership, um, we were able to take our quality from like middle of the pack to a little lower to consistently at the top of our region and in the top, I don't know, 20, 30% in the state. Um, we were able to become financially very um, sound, you know, very sustainable. Um, and we'd grown quite a bit. And we found ourselves in a position where I'd moved from my office into a closet and then I moved out of my closet so a dentist could move into my closet because, <laughs> um, you know, we were just packed so tight sure. in our little old building and we realized we needed a new building, right? Right. They'd known this for some time, but uh, um, it just, you know, got to the point though where need and the capacity to do something about it were finally, you know, meeting each other. And so we started designing this brand new health center. And the model that we had created, the model of care was designed around you, Chris, as a whole person. I know people are shocked when I reveal this to them, right? Because this is amazing stuff. But when you were born, when I was born, and everybody who's listening, is anybody watching this or is this audio only? It's both. I'll do both. So, it's yeah. both, right? Yeah. So, um, we both kind of have bald heads, you know, mine is more nature, I suspect, is <laughs> this more choice, yep. but, uh, um, you know, we were both born with this head attached to the shoulders. Is that sure. not shocking? Yeah, that's weird, man. <laughs> I mean, that's so weird, right? Yeah. Because the entire healthcare system, I mean, I went to graduate school and studied healthcare, right? And, you know, it's built on a guild model. Like plumbers and pipe fitters and, you know, longshoremen and the original surgeons were in the 
hair cutters union. <laughs> the, you know, because they had instruments and they had to keep them sterile. Sure. So when you say health center, you're actually talking about a hospital? No, no. Or? This is a community health center. A community health center. Just so like think of it like primary care. Okay. All right. I'm on the yeah. same page now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had built this primary care model that was built about you and the reality of you, which isn't that you're all these disconnected parts and each person on the care team. So we had primary care, we had internal medicine, we had pediatrics, Okay. we, we had behavioral health. So we had psychologists, therapists, something we called a behavioral health consultant who helps you with physical health challenges using mental health tools. Okay. We had coaches, we had community health workers, we had nurses and uh, medical assistants and dental assistants and hygienists. And I mean, it was really a broad scope, but the whole point was in a primary care kind of a model, we want to have the things that you might need available to wrap around you, as opposed to you trying to wrap yourself around all these other schedules. Okay. Does that make sense? Like a one-stop shop. It's kind of like a one-stop shop, but it was really designed around you as a whole person. And core to this clinical model was that you need, since you know yourself the best, sure. be the captain of the care team. Okay. All right. So instead of me being the doctor and you being the patient, and you come in and you tell me your problems, and I say, oh, we'll do this and this and this. And I give you a prescription and I pat you on the head and I say, go on and do what I told you to do and take your medicine, come back and see me in six months, right? That's right, right. kind of typical. Yep. And, and I'm being a little cynical there. So please, all the doctors listening, you know, I'm not trying to be mean or anything. Sure. But, That's pretty but standard. I mean, there's, yeah. there's truth to this, right? I agree. And, and so what we wanted to do was elevate you to say, you, Chris, are the captain of the care team. Okay. And so whether it be you, I mean, me as a physician, I'm not a physician, but if I was a physician or the dentist or the hygienist or the health worker or the behavioral health consultant or whoever was on your team, okay, you have to manage your life and your health for the, you know, 23 hours in a day that you weren't at the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? That makes sense. And so what I realized was because we were building this building, we had these really cool design principles that were going to physically support this clinical model that we had created. Um, it, and I could go into all kinds of stuff about that, but it's not an architecture podcast. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I won't bore you on that. We're but I mean, We were really excited about it. It was going to be a big project, about 40,000 square feet, mm. $16 million, um, very leading edge as far as we could tell because we stole bits and pieces and then took what we had learned. Um, the only thing like it in the country, you know, when it was built um, and really supporting this model. But I realized this is my first epiphany after 30 some odd years, a little embarrassing. It's okay. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I need to wear a dunce cap every now and again. But, <laughs> but it's like, I thought, okay, we're doing all this cool stuff. We have an amazing group of people I'm privileged to work with. Um, we've got this great model of care. Our quality is great. Um, our reputation is great. People want to come here and engage with us. 
Um, recruiting was fairly easy because people wanted to work at this kind of a place. If you yeah. were a healthcare professional, this was like a kind of a cool place to work. And um, anyways, we had all these good things going for us. And I realized, wait a minute, you know, don't screech on the brakes here, but unless we help you as the captain of the care team fulfill your role more successfully, we're going to greatly limit our success. Does it make sense? If you're the captain, you're the pivotal member, right. and the only essential member, frankly, in the care team, right? You always have to be there. You're always the center of focus and attention. Of course. Um, if we can't help you be more successful in that, then, you know, all of the rest of this is going to be kind of marginal, but not really transformative. That makes perfect sense. I mean, it's the only person that has to fully take care of their healthcare anyway. I mean, you can guide, you know, doctors, physicians, dentists, you can guide people as much as you want and give them your advice or whatever. But ultimately, it comes down to what the, like myself, would do outside of the doctor's office. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and so that was the first epiphany. And, and I may not be that smart, but I'm a, at least a little, little bit humble, a little bit humble. Um, and, and I started talking to people <laughs> and I would ask this great people, you know, we had all these disciplines and these smart, caring, amazing people. And I, I would I'd say, well, what are we going to do? How do we do that? Right. Yeah. And, and I came to this second epiphany. Okay. I was studying change models. So you would think how people change is just like a thing and here's step one, two, three, four, five. But oh no, it has to do with human beings. We're not machines, right? Sure. So as a human being, there's like a dozen different theories and oh, I don't doubt it. How do people change? And I don't and know. So I was yeah, and so I got down to like my favorite like six, and I just started studying those change models and how does it work and talking to people who understood them better than me and reading some books and well, what were some of those change models? Oh my gosh! Well, you don't, we don't have to touch on all of them, but I mean maybe the. You, the ones that spoke to you the most, I guess, because, you know, that's one thing I've talked about on here a few different times was just how much people just change over time and their morals and values just from, you know, day one to, you know, year, whatever now, you know, just exactly. Yeah, it just changes so much. Well, that's a good point. So there's the. Oh, gosh. Uh, social transformation change model. OK, um, it starts with like awareness. Um, let me see. I got to. There's like seven steps. I've got a slide with them all on it. <laughs> okay. But um, and so um, there's the, have you ever heard of, the, there was a great book that was written called, um, what was the book called? It's the people that did um, Crucial Conversations, Crucial Accountability. It's called Influencer. There you go. Like how to win, that book, how to win influence or influence friends and that one? It's, it's, like kind of, no, it's not how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, that was one. Dale Carnegie. Yeah, right? no, yeah. No, not that. Um, this is these are some consultants and researchers who got together um, and they do a lot of communications okay. and getting things done. And but they wrote a book called Influencer, and they took a lot of this research and they had this kind of six grid. Uh oh. me here this is good um the two columns are 
motivation and ability, right? Okay. So two columns. Right. And then there are three rows, six grids, six squares in total. So the first row is personal, social okay. is the second row, and structural is the third row. So in other words, there's personal motivation and ability, social motivation and ability, and then structural motivation and ability. Okay. And so their, their theory basically was that you want to, if you're trying to change something, right? Ideally, we're changing ourselves, sure. right? Sure. Um, then you've got to try to get at least something going on in four of the six quadrants. And if you can do that, the odds of you succeeding in your change is dramatically greater, as one example. So you get one win in one of those quadrants quadrants and then you would move on to another one and then success would just build off that and just be an uphill yeah, they, they, they kind of reinforce each other okay so let's say i, I want to exercise every day right that's okay. something i want to do as a goal i want to change that behavior so then you'd have to say first of all personally right why so what <laughs> you know what's my motivation yeah you no know, right yeah either just to feel better about yourself in your daily life or look better or whatever yeah. And then the second part of that personal row is ability. So like I may want to do it, right? But then I have to have to know how to do it as well, right? So I can look up some videos, listen to some great podcasts. I can sure. do different things to figure out how to do what I want to do. And then there's social. So like if I have a friend who I can exercise with, the chance of me exercising goes up a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah, you surround and yourself then, with the five, well, the five people, or what is that saying? You're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So. There you go, exactly. Yeah. And there's actually good research behind that. That's not just a nice saying. Oh, it is. There's something, there's something called a Framingham Heart Study. It's the longest continuous research study in the United States, maybe in the world, I don't know. But they actually studied that very idea. And, you know, it really supports that that's true. Um, that, that would be a distraction here. So anyways, okay. so then, that, and then there are structural things we can do, right? So like, if I have to drive to the gym, it might be a structural barrier. But if I can have some free weights in my garage, right, then I can just walk into the garage and do it. Or as one guy said, structurally, some, one of the things he did was he says, running in the morning is hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I put my running shoes right where I get out of bed. I cannot get out of bed without like stepping on them. And it's like a structural prompt that, oh yeah, I need to go running today. Yeah. Even if it's a hard day to go running, right? Exactly. So you've got all these sources of influence that help you be successful. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, you know, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Um, it's basically... I've, yeah, it kind of I've sounds like, of it. yeah, just okay. building these small little habits and just little things like that. Pay, put your shoes, if you want to start running, put your shoes by your bed. And that way, each morning you see them and you have to walk onto them. And then no matter what, your brain's automatically saying, we got to go run today. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a 5K or whatever, but go around the neighborhood. But then you just cut, but you're building the habit of doing that to get, you know, in this form of better exercise. And that's kind of what the, his whole book is about. Just you know, okay. put yourself in these positive behavioral loops rather than these negative ones. There you go. So that's perfect. Yeah. So you got this kind and that's a model, but then there are other models. And I'm sorry, 
it's been three years since I really dug into those things and I have to go back to my slides and oh it's perfectly and... okay because it's it's one of those things that interests me but I mean if it's been you know three to five years there's so much that's probably already changed that you know well, some of it has you know and some of these models have been around though for an, uh, quite a while and and but my point is one and so my second epiphany as I was going through all of these change models some I remember pretty well and some not so well but what they all had, all six of them had in common was this idea of personal motivation. Basically, I can get all the social support, all the structural support, I can get all of the how-to, you know, ability kind of stuff. I can have all of that in spades. But if I haven't figured out my why, sure. hardly anything else is going to make any difference. It's really, and all of these models in their own words, basically the same thing. Unless I understand my own intrinsic, is the word they use, or personal motivation, all else is kind of less effective, right? Anything I'm yeah. going to try to do, any changes I make, frankly, any changes I'm trying to keep up with, like external changes, I'm going to be less successful unless I've kind of figured that out. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. That's kind of what... Also, going back on that book was talking about that. If you don't know why you're really trying to, you know, pursue a goal or motivate yourself or whatever, then it's going to be even harder to, you know, take that extra step and do something or make that change. And that you, and a lot of people go through life, you know, just for example, you know, they go, I've said it on here before, but you know, they work their 30 years, go through retirement with the job they hate just to get, you know, and get in retirement and go drink Mai Tais on the beach. And, but when you're asked if you were really happy, there's, well, I guess, I made a good living, I guess, but it really wasn't, you know, satisfying at the same time. And that's yeah. just generally speaking, of course. I mean, that's not obviously everybody, but. No. And frankly, just a tidbit, as we get a little older, I'm a little older than you, I would guess. But think so? when, when we do retire, I'm not retired yet, but when we do retire, if we just sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais, because, you know, there's a lot of people that want to sell us that dream, you know, that that should be what we're looking for. Yeah. They die within five years. Yeah. What, what, cause they're not challenging themselves. You think? Because they have no purpose. Exactly. Sitting on the beach and drinking Mai Tais or whatever yeah. it is, is great for on vacation. Sure. But as a lifestyle, eh, you know, it works in the movies sometimes, but in real life, no, it is not a full, it's, we need purpose, right? right? And so there's no meaning, there's no contribution, there's no trying, no testing, no stretching ourselves. Um, and so it really is quite, quite awful. Yeah, one of the one of the doctors I follow, Pat, oh shoot, what's his name? But he his whole philosophy is based on longevity. And that's one of his things is that you have to challenge yourself, whether it be small challenges or big challenges, but little ones in your daily life will help you lead to obviously a lifelong age that you want to try to be at and exactly one thing i've tried to incorporate in my life now that you know whether it just be physical or mental that yeah you got to challenge yourself in some form just to you know find a why get a passion you know even get a small win for the day if you just play wordle i mean shoot there you go exactly <laughs> i like wordle i do too I, 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 that's what i do every morning <laughs> so as i studied you know so then i thought well personal motivation you know what is that really yeah. you know what is it and so I started studying personal motivation. I thought if it's really at the core, you know, I should really understand this much, much better. And so I studied three 
bodies of work or research. The first one that surprised the heck out of me, even though I've always felt strongly about having values and trying to live your values, I would have said I was a values kind of oriented person. The power of our core personal values, typically I say your top five, and making them explicit, which I have a specific kind of process to get to that, um, is amazingly powerful. Amazingly powerful. And it's using a natural metaphor. I'm trying to trying to guide the world away from a mechanical metaphor. Okay. Because you and I, even though there are some similarities, I'm sorry, we are not machines. Not We're actually natural beings. And the forces at play on us, the forces that decide our success or our failure, our health or our lack thereof, our happiness, our joy, our motivation, right, are all natural. Sure. And so what are those natural, right, kind of principles that guide our motivation and our success in the rest of life? So the first is our values. And it leads to things like well-being. Shelter, success. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, this is at a more fundamental level. Okay. Like meaning in life. You know, we talk about purpose a minute ago. Sure. The foundation of meaning is in your values. You know, these are the things that I hold strongly. And the course that you set to then live those values. So they become guides for you, like, you know, bumpers along the freeway. Okay. We think of them as a barrier or something that stops you from crossing the lanes, right? You've taken that freedom away and we like our freedom, right? Especially as Americans, we like our freedom. Of course. But when we're driving 70 or whatever it is down the freeway and somebody's driving 70 the other way, we have willingly and purposefully given up the freedom to drive into the opposing lane of traffic. Because a crash at 140 miles an hour will certainly ruin your day. Yeah. And maybe your life. Exactly. And that of somebody else, right? So we've decided to put a barrier there, something to guide us. And what we find is instead of infringing on our freedom, it actually makes life faster, safer, more comfortable, more confident. Because I can actually drive down the freeway and not even think about it anymore. Because I know that I've got this barrier in between us and we're both just zooming by doing our thing. Right. And so this is kind of what values do for us. They provide some guidelines, barriers, if you will, within which we say we're going to operate and we're going to then pursue whatever our goals are within the framework. That makes sense. I agree with that. Yeah, and then sometimes there's chance or chances you want to step out of those barriers and maybe take a step with a new project or passion or. Well, you might. The key there, though, is that you don't do it because your friends want you to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, or some marketing slogan guy, you know, at a sales pitch or whatever else. Right, this needs to be yours. You need to own it, if you will. And I think your insight is right on. These values will, in fact, change over time. Right. But they need to be changed purposefully and based upon who you are growing into, who you are becoming. 
And frankly, what will most likely happen is that you've got something that is so defined, it's so ingrained in you, you don't even think about it anymore. You just don't even think about it. It's just always there. And it allows you then a chance to grow to say, you know, I've got this other value, which you might call an aspirational value that I think is going to be really important for me in this next phase of my life. And so then you set some goals around, you know, taking that aspirational value and making it a reality so that, again, it's just the normal and natural way that you function, you think, you operate. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then my, you know, so a lot of these values, though, are they, would you think there would just be enriched on us from our parents or just however we're born? And then from, I don't know, whatever adolescence to teenage years, we start to figure out our own way and what we actually really do value. But a lot of it's just kind of, we have a base set based on our life coming out the womb, I guess, right? Or yeah. however life experience is going to start out. Well, thank goodness. Hopefully, most of us have parents right? But there's a lot of single parents out there and lots of challenges in families. But in general, what we're going to do is when we're growing up, we adopt these values that we see in those who are raising us. Being our parents, our friends start having a lot of influence, you yeah. know, as we get into our early teens. And, you know, by your mid-teens, they have more influence than your parents. <laughs> so if you're a parent, you know, and those kids are still seven, Take advantage of it, man, because <laughs> the day will come when their best friend will start saying, well, you know. Yeah, I, I don't have any kids, but based on what I've seen and, you know, the outside world, the other parts, yeah, take advantage of it, what you said. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, and thank goodness for that, though, right? Because we've got something and we will always inevitably at some point in our lives, in our teens, maybe our late teens, right, will actually hopefully think about and have this kind of specific, explicit conversation or thought, which is, you know, what are my values? Now, research tells us that about 80% of all people, and Chris, your listeners are amazing, but probably about 80% of them have never gone through the effort to make their own personal core values explicit. I would probably agree with that statement. I mean, really? So do you want to know, you don't know what the process is? I mean, we can, this is a takeaway. Yeah, they can do this, right? Because this is something I would want to learn myself too. So yeah. There you go. So if you go to my website, which is just www.davidredwards.com. So it's just my name. And you go to forms. There's a tab for forms. And you'll see a, a values worksheet. Okay. And... It's in my book as well. Uh, I'd rather people bought my book, but I don't want you to have to buy my book because this is so important for everybody to do. I want everybody in the world to do it. Just take two hours out of your busy life, an hour one week and an hour in an, the next week and go through this process. That's really all it takes. And since I'm gonna give it away for free, you know, it's free. <laughs> so there you go. So wait, wait, wait. So it's just a, uh, a a test or a worksheet or whatever, just to kind of help you. It's just a list. And I curated out of a bunch of different lists from like psychologists and universities and stuff of the most common core values. I see. And so I've got about 117, I think, 100 and some odd on this list. So my goal was to not make it so big that it's completely overwhelming 
research tells us that when you have a zillion choices, I don't know if you've ever done this. I'll ask you. This will be fine. And, yeah, that's fine. And too bad the audience isn't live because I would love to get some feedback from them. But I was listening to a guy the other day and he said, I went out to Netflix the other day. You know, and it's just like screen after screen after screen and row after row. And he says, I looked for 30 minutes and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to watch. So I gave up. I can relate 100% to that. Yeah. And so this is reality, though, right? Yeah. And so, you know, a list of values, you may say, well, I want a bigger list than that. You know, I want 500 values. You could curate a list of 500 values. You really could. Sure. But it becomes dysfunctional at some point. So I didn't want a list of 10 out of which you choose five, because that seems a little disingenuous, right? I would agree. And so what I said was one printed page. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's my kind of compromise, imperfect, I'm sure. But I said, this has most of the common core values that most people share. Yeah. And I left some blanks on the, in my book, you know, and on the page on my website, there's some blanks because you know what? You might decide there's something on here that I think is really important. And I want you to be able to put it on there because these are your personal core values. And what I say over and over again in the book is they're not my values. They're not somebody else's values, not your parents' values or your friends or anybody else's. These are yours. So there's no right or wrong list. It just, it simply is what it is. And the value of it comes in you going through the process the mental process of just identifying them. So then I walk you through, and, and there's no magic to this. You kind of got to go through, and I like to skim through it and say, oh, yeah, and I'll circle it. And I say, yeah, I think that's really important. And I'll circle another one. And you maybe you've got 10 or 20 or something out of this big list. And then you go through, and I would do another process. And I would say, all right, so those are all good. This one is kind of the same as that one. You know, it's very similar. Sure. This one probably is more inclusive, you know, more comprehensive. So I'll cross off this other one. I'll do that. Get it down to your top 10. I think you should take a break at that point. Congratulate yourself because you've gotten to a really critical point in this process. Get a drink of water, do some push-ups, whatever it is, you know, reward yourself. Um, and then... The hard work is to take that 10 and boil it down to five. Because what we're most interested in here is not a big long list of things that I frankly will never be able to remember, but my top five core values. And so you're going to go through a kind of a similar process with those 10 and say, all right, you know, this sounds kind of similar to that. You know, I'm going to choose this one. Um, this one, I think. And one way to think about it is like in extremes. So in an extreme situation, would this one serve me better? Would I hold to that more likely or would I this other one? Okay. And we start to rank these in this way. I have some exercises. If you go to my blog, same thing, www.davidredwards.com. And I have a blog. And I, I, if you click under the values tab, I have a series of fun, and they really are fun, exercises like go for a week and just take pictures of things that you think are important. Okay. So it might be your spouse. It might be your kids. It might be your car. It might be work. It might be, you know, uh, exercise trophy. I don't care what it is. It birds. It could be a tree things that you think, Oh, that's important. You know, maybe you see a couple 
holding hands and you think love is important, right? But you're visually kind of recording these things through the week. And at the end of the week, you kind of go through the pictures and say, well, what do these reflect? And you, you know, kind of, it's like a, a pre-work or a pre-assignment mm -hmm. helps you thinking in this mode. And I give you five different of these exercises just to help you kind of think about stuff um, that are, a lot of them are kind of visual um, and they're kind of fun and they're, and they're very light and easy and there's no pressure. No, I still agree. I'm going back on your, that 80% stat that, you know, a lot of people that I feel like, well, maybe that's a blanket statement, but what's this, I'll use myself, but you know, I didn't really know what I valued until I was actually kind of did a little bit of life on my own, I guess, and kind of learned, you know, to take trips by myself and, you know, go to the movies by myself and, you know, or just, you know, even just take a vacation by yourself or whatever. But that's what helped me the most was actually kind of like, all right, what does Chris like to do? I mean, what, you know, do I want to choose, you know, decision A or decision B, you know, do I really want to stay up past this night? I mean, you know, it's, you know, one thing in my life is pretty, really important to me that I value is health and fitness. I know that I've changed, altered my lifestyle in a lot of different ways that, um, you know, every day when I go to train and compete that I'm going to be sure that I'm going to be able to give it a hundred percent, you know? There you go. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I guess I created that self-awareness just by, I didn't do it like taking pictures or everything, but I was kind of, I guess, self-reflecting and sitting down and writing down Perfect. things that, yeah, that kind of was like, okay, what does Chris like to do? And, and where can we go from here and how can I make things better and stuff? And I, I don't know if it's because, you know, like I said, you know, and I've done a thing with a Netflix sat there with my date or whatever and went for 30 minutes. Hey, what are, what are we watching? What are we going to watch? And then you never end up watching nothing. And then you finally start something and you fall asleep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just uh, two small little things that I don't know if it's just too much information that comes at us day by day now and that we just don't know or our brains are not made for this type of uh, environment? Well, well, complexity, there is a serious challenge in dealing with complexity. So psychologists have studied this. In particular, I really love this as a branch of economics called behavioral economics. And they've done a lot of work around these kinds of things. But the short version of it is when you have too many options in the spirit of like, I want to give you all the things that are possible, it is actually dysfunctional. Ooh. And they've studied, for example, in like retirement options. So it used to be, you know, you could have a company that gave you one option. So like Enron, for example, right? They said, you guys are all gonna get Enron stock, right? You get one option. You think that's pretty simple, right? But the, what they've discovered is like one option is, is not an option, right? We're just forcing you to do something. And so that's not very functional. People have no choice. So other people said, well, we'll take it to the extreme. I've got a hundred options for you to choose from for your retirement plan. And, you know, I've got this growth and I've got this long-term, I've got a value and I've got 15 versions of each one of these. And, and that for most of us, you know, unless you're like a finance professional and you're really into this stuff, you know, and you're going to get out and build a spreadsheet and rank these things and average the returns and blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I would have fun doing that just because I was a CFO for 20 years. And so I love doing that kind of stuff. Sure. But for most people, that's really dysfunctional. And what happens is they just like having one option, they sub optimize because there's so many options. They just can't handle the complexity and they don't make the best decisions. So there's somewhere in the middle, right, where 
you say, you ask people some questions. You might say, like in an investment thing, you might say, well, what is your risk tolerance? What is your time frame, right? So then we would start to guide you. And instead of giving you 100 options, we might give you 15 options. Okay. But they're all consistent with some basic things that you value that you think are important in making a decision. And so you can't really go all that wrong. And, you know, most people in that kind of a situation, and maybe it's 10, right? But you can go through and say, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this. And that's good enough for most of us. And then you're going to make a good choice. And there is no perfect choice. Again, right? It's just, it it doesn't exist. Because nobody, you nor I, nor anybody, even, I don't know, I'll date myself here, the old E.F. Hutton commercials. Everybody's on the plane and, and... they're whispering to each other, right? Yeah. And everybody's having their own little conversation. And then the one guy dressed in a business suit next to another guy dressed in a business suit says, well, my broker is eating E.F. Hutton. And he says, and the entire plane has descended upon to hear what they had to say. So if we're not E.F. Hutton, I don't even know if they exist anymore. <laughs> uh, probably not. But, uh, but uh um, it's good to have a few choices, but not so many. I mean, that's, and that's just my point. So you go through a process and you want to get down to your five core values. Okay. And then I want you to make them explicit. There's three steps. I'll do sign language. Sign language says three steps. Okay. So the first is that you define each of those core values. Like how, how you would define them yourself? how you define it. Okay. Exactly. What does this mean to me? It's a very personal journey. Now you could Google it, you know, you could look it up or something and say, what does that mean to the world? No problem with that. That's fine. But whatever, because almost everything has multiple definitions, right? Sure. Yeah. You need to define it for yourself. So I'll what agree. does this mean to me? That's step one. And do that for each of the five. Step okay. two is that you say, what does it look like? So in like real life, and only you know your own life, what would it look like to live that value? So what are the behaviors? What are the habits? What are the words I would use? You know, how how would my responses be? So for example, if you say, I have as a core personal value, honesty, just as an example, right? And that's a pretty common, we generally think that's good. So then the policeman pulls you over and Uh-oh. he walks up to you and he says do you know how fast you are going remember one of your core personal values the top five was um, honesty right this is a chance for you to put it to the test sure and say is that really a core personal value or maybe that's an aspirational value but you know you got to define it so what does that look like in real life in my life and then the third step is that you tell yourself why in the heck it makes any difference. Why does that matter? It's like, why does it matter to take this value on and make it part of your life? Exactly. Why, how is your life better is another way to look at that. So how is my life better for understanding this being explicit about what that means in my behavior, because if it doesn't affect my behavior, this is, you know, wishy-washy, fuzzy-wuzzy, no good, no, it doesn't do anything for you, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to make this reality a part of your reality, your lived reality. 
So why am I better off? So for example, I'll give you an example. One of my core values is transparency. I had seen too many situations where, especially at work, but it could be in relationships as well, somebody would say one thing to me and something else to Chris. Okay. <laughs> and it's good. like, right? And there's like, well, which story is it? You know, there's only one reality here. So which story is it? This kind of hidden agenda, this duplicitous kind of stuff. The boss comes down and says, we need you to do this. What really happens is he's got a totally different agenda that serves him, but it doesn't serve me. And he didn't share that part of it with me. So this kind of shadow, duplicity, lack of transparency, to me, um, I don't have any place for it in my life. I don't have a good enough mind to remember if I told Chris one thing and Mary something else and John something else, which story I told to which person, that is too exhausting. And that doesn't help me and it doesn't help them. No. And so for me to be transparent is really important because that's how I want people to treat me. And then I can look you in the face and we're on the same page. There's no hidden agendas and we may disagree. Fantastic, right? Then we'll disagree. But at least we're on the same page. We understand where each other is at. Do you think maybe as a leadership perspective or being a CFO like you were, I mean, being 100% transparent all the time is the way to go? Or is it kind of a situational thing? You know what I mean? I do. I'm so the only time is when your wife says, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> Okay. Well, no. I mean, I would agree with you there, but you know, some might argue that, you know, for example, like a football coach would never give out all of his, you know, strategic tactics and everything to the other team and everything. So he doesn't want to be a hundred percent transparent all the time. Of course not. Yes, absolutely. Of course not. You may know things that you don't share with other people for competitive reasons, for example, sure. of course, of course. But, but I'm not I'm talking to, I'm not talking about with your competitors, although, you know, and so, you know, where do you draw the line? There's some judgment there. And you might put down when you, you know, write down, well, what does this look like? Right. Yeah. You might include something like, well, you know what? When it comes to my competitors, I'm going to share so much. I'm not going to lie to them. Right. I think that I just don't think there's any place for that in any business setting. But I may not share things that are inappropriate. I, I, I would probably share more than some, <laughs> probably, <laughs> just because I'm trying to live this value. Okay. But if it's inappropriate, so for example, intellectual property or you know something that you're legally bound to not share, um, Most people would know the, the line to draw. I mean, yeah, I would, if it would right. be malfeasance of some kind, you know, I, I, no, of course not. Yeah. But, but um, I mean, even if you had, like, you know, say, for example, I was listening to this podcast and it was like a former CIA or FBI, I can't remember, but uh, the gist of it was, was that, you know, he was told that there was going to be a threat. I think it was on New York. It was one of the major cities and that it was almost a nuclear threat or some type of bomb threat, but it was going, probably going to kill probably over half the population with that. But he wasn't allowed to tell anybody or get the word out, except he could only tell his close friends and family. So, and he, but he, and luckily nothing ever happened, obviously, but he was like, I didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, you wanted to tell people, but you can't tell people at the same time. And I guess that might be a little bit more of extreme case as far as transparency goes. And that's, you know, we, you know, we, that's a whole different 
road we could go down on, but you know, it's almost one of those things I was looking at it like, you know, well, maybe like 98% most people are going to be transparent, but you know, I guess it all dictates on the situation and lives and. Well, I think you'd have to look at that. So that's actually a really good example, right? I want to be transparent about this, but I cannot. Sure. For one, because you've been told. Yeah. I think to help you deal with that, you would have to understand why am I not transparent, right? Maybe there's some other values that are of greater value. Yeah. And that's one advantage of ranking these values, like one, two, three, four, five, is to is to say, you know, transparency is important, but you know what? If I am not, I can say, if I am not transparent in this situation, it will likely harm more people than if I am. And since it's a higher value to value human beings, value life, than to be transparent, you know, then I'm going to subsume that transparency value to the higher value because just to help me feel better about myself and if more people are going to die you know that's that's a poor trade-off yeah i would agree 100 percent. and yeah i like the way you put that it really would come down to exactly what you know your top five values are or whatever and how they rank and just yeah, like right now, because I've never even sat here and think about what are my top five. I could probably give, I could probably name off top five, but then when I start to think about it even more, you know, based on what we've been saying tonight, it was like, is that really my top five? Yeah. Like, yeah. Did I really value that, or was that just I thought I did? You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's value in this, and this is one of the things that surprised me the most in the research. I spent about two years researching, and there's a ton of research on values. I don't doubt it. And the, some of the benefits are a greater sense of purpose. What happens is when we say these things are important to me and I've made them explicit and I'm living them, my life has more purpose. And there's just, and I don't know, there's probably some detail that I don't understand. I am not a research psychologist, but there's something that clicks in our minds that gives us a sense of meaning. So you think about your life. If there's purpose, you know, there's this greater sense of meaning because of these values that you hold, you have this stronger sense of meaning. So are you going to be a stronger, more motivated person as a result? Probably. You probably are. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what the research tells us. You will have a greater sense of well-being. So we can define well-being as a sense that my life is okay, right? I'm on a good track. Mm -hmm. So if you know what your values are, You've made them explicit and you're living them. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Can you see how that sense of my life is on track is going to be improved? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree a hundred percent with this. That's because, you know, people want meaning. They want, I believe they want meaning. They want to find out like, you know, what is, why are they on this planet? You know, what are we supposed to be doing with our time? And when you have, when you find that meaning and you have a passion and find what you're valuing and that you put it to work. And for most people generally, and then you usually have some type of success with it and everyone has their own different, you know, definition of whatever success is, whether it be a famous movie star comedian or CFO, or, you know, you have your own business, whatever it is, but, you know, I feel like, you know, there is some of these people who just never find that in their life and whether it just be because they don't have interactions with someone like you, or just, it does never really sit down and think about it. And then, you know, they ask, you know, if they're happy or not, and they're like, no, I'm not happy. And it's like, well, why not? And it's like, well, I've just worked at this random factory job, kind of what we were touching on earlier and just never really made something of myself. And it's like, well, why not? You know, and because yeah. you didn't take the time to figure out what you actually valued or what you wanted to get out of life. I mean, you know, right. you, it's kind of like the same thing with the doctor's office, you know, you can, especially in today's time, it's one of the best times of his life as far as research and podcasts and getting information. I mean, you have a YouTube university and be good to go. So, but you know, when you go outside of your walls or whatever, it's up to you when you're by yourself, if you want to do something, if you want to make a change, you're going to figure out how to do it. I mean, yeah, yeah, not everybody can hold your hand the whole time, but you know, we can show you the door and give you some guidance, like the bumpers you were talking about, but ultimately it comes down to the sole person, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's really the, and it's the first of the 10 principles is making your values explicit. And if you do that, you have all these benefits. The other one is focus, because what happens is when you have a clear sense of your values, you have options, hopefully, right? You've got some options in your life. And you, as you're choosing between these options with this clear sense of what's important to you, it's going to help you decide and make good decisions about which options you want to pursue. And finally, you actually are motivated. You are more motivated. And I like, again, I like to get away from the mechanical metaphor. I think it has lots of advantages, but lots of disadvantages. But I'll use the analogy of a cherry tree because i worked in a rural area with a lot of cherry trees and and so uh, and i like cherries so anyways (laughs) every seed and like almost everything in nature starts small sure very small right so a cherry tree starts with a seed you like that pit (laughs) which you plant that pit in the ground in time it will germinate so it cracks the shell and the first thing it does is what I guess what plants roots, I don't even know. It puts down roots, exactly. Yeah, like, oof. That's the first thing that does. It starts to put down roots. The roots is the beginning of the cherry tree. Now, let me ask you, if you have a full-blown cherry tree, it goes 20 feet in the air, and it's wide and full of cherries, does it have three little roots that, you know, it started off with? When no, it, was it has more than that. No. Yeah. It's huge. Exactly. Right? And so what happens is, And this is the difference between the mechanical and the natural metaphor is what the world, if you will, wants us to do. All the forces around us is they want us to have a bounteous harvest, right? Big cherry, lots of 
big tree, lots of branches, lots of leaves, lots of cherries. But it doesn't help us focus on the roots and the trunk. Mm. And the roots and the trunk are what makes that harvest possible. Okay. And by strengthening the roots and the trunk. So as we start to grow a little bit of a stem, right? A little bit of a trunk pokes itself out of the ground just barely. You got a little more roots. That stem grows taller. You got more roots. Trunk gets a little bit bigger and bigger. Got more and more roots. When you've got a full grown mature cherry tree, you've got a huge root ball. It goes deep in the ground and wide. It's drying the nutrition that the tree needs. The trunk can support the weight of it. They're at that level of production, if you will. But the trunk is there. So I think, and you're an exercise guy. Mm -hmm. So think about you got to have core fitness, sure. right? Yeah. Otherwise, if you have a lopsided top or a lopsided yeah. bottom, you're really not that fit, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that you can relate that to, you know, just not core fitness, but even professional sports, at least, or like even pitchers. I mean, they just don't throw a ball like this. They put their whole core into it and everything. So, yeah. Exactly. You want to be good so anyway. This, the strong roots and trunk creates this foundation for the productive life that we all want. We all want to make a difference. We all want to get things done. We all want to feel like we're contributing, but the capacity to do it is limited by the size of our core development as a human being. And so I'm going to whip through these really fast now because I know we're getting short on time. We're, we all have nowhere to be, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so the second one, you mentioned earlier, the second principle is awareness. Yeah. Right? So this idea of I'm aware of where I'm at, how am I doing? And I'm aware of the environment around me. Those are both important. And I could talk about it more, but I'm going to kind of skip through these real fast. Okay. Learning. You can touch on some of them. We don't want to skip through them very fast, but go ahead. Okay. So the third principle is learning. And the key here is that we have experiences in life. Some of them are really positive and happy and helpful. Agree. Some of them are really challenging. Uh huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> the key is to learn from both. So I had this job where I was able to do these amazing things or be a part of a team that was doing amazing things. And, you know, we had, were very successful from a quality, from a human perspective, from a, a performance perspective, financial perspective, our reputation, we're all fantastic. I got fired <laughs> from that job. Awesome. And that's a whole nother story, but uh, I didn't steal money or something like that. So sure. I'm not, you know, I lived consistent with my values, but I didn't do some of the things I needed to do, frankly. And I ignored talking about awareness. I ignored some feedback, or I think I was frankly exhausted. We worked, we had so many cool things going on. Life was just so busy and I had some critical feedback and I, I just ignored it. I mean, there's the fact. And so I've been there. As I thought about that, when I when I was fired, you know, it became very personal. <laughs> you know, and something fired generally, oh, that sucks, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> but when you get fired from a job that you love and that you've been very successful at, you know, that's very personal. All of a I sudden. agree. I would agree. And um, so the key for me and for anybody going through a challenge is. What did I learn from it? And so one of the things I learned was 
I needed to take more breaks and I need to be more attuned, right? In my awareness yeah. to all of these sources of feedback. And unfortunately, some of the feedback I was ignoring was from my board, which, you know, they hire and fire you. And, and, uh, and it was disconcerting enough that they said, we got to let Dave go. Um, but I learned from this process. So frankly, as you think about that, and it's discouraging, I was reading a post from somebody on LinkedIn the other day, and um, she was talking about getting fired, I think, too. And I replied and I said, because she was talking about they expect you to go out and find another job right away when you're feeling all beat up, right? You're feeling bad about yourself. And I offered this perspective and I would offer it to anybody. I mean, you got to deal with the emotions. You just do. Don't ignore your emotions. You deal with your emotions. But once you're, you know, you feel like you can do that and it's not like ruminating on it all the time, right? but, but you've kind of processed your emotion, the hurt and the, the lack of trust or whatever it is. I urge you to sit down and think about it this way. If I've learned something from being fired, so I had something that was bad, right? There was something bad, probably, but you had all these other things that were good, right? So you, you still have all those good things, right? So you're not at all diminished. You still get to take those with you. But now you have some additional critical information from getting this you know, traumatic experience which makes you actually more capable than you were before because you would not have had that wisdom had you not gone through this terrible experience. So in fact, you are the most capable person you have ever been. Sure, you are sure. that much smarter today than you were however long ago it was, yesterday or last week or a month ago, right? Whatever time it took for you to process and learn from this, you in fact are. So when you go out onto that next job interview, you can go with confidence and you can say, you know, I got fired and I have all these strengths I bring to the table. And now having gone through that, I learned this about myself and I'm that much better. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I mean, I've learned that with my life experiences and I was fired from one of my first jobs in high school. And, you know, and I mean, it wasn't nothing bad. I was just basically just being lazy and goofing off and stuff. But, um, but yeah, but, you know, I've taken that with me and, you know, have these little humbling experiences and they know that some bad things can happen, but, you know, you learn from them and they suck when they happen. Yeah, but yeah, you can make the next time better, hopefully. And, you know, if you didn't get the job, yeah, just because of whatever in the interview, you may have answered a question wrong or not to your best of your ability, but yeah, you learn to grow from it. Exactly. So learning is a critical concept. It's one of the core principles. Intent is the next one. So you might think of intent as your vision, right? It's, it's what do you want to become um, when you're young enough, right? Like, so when you grow up, sure. but if you're grown up, you can still ask this question because we're all on a journey through life, whatever our age or stage is. And so we think about what is my intent? I, I, anyways, so intent and then planning is the sixth principle. Sixth is it? Planning? Fifth principle. Yeah. So this is the idea of if I've built the, I've started to build these foundations and I hope you can see how they build on each other. Yeah, I've got start. this core roots of my values, right? I've got some additional depth to those roots from my awareness my process of learning right now with my intent i'm kind of building this trunk up a little bit and with my planning i've got the chance to take the vision i've developed and these other core skills my my comfort with feedback and i'm going to start to make some plans 
And then I have to take those plans and I have to realize them. So the doing, right? There's planning and doing as distinct steps. And those are the first seven principles or yes. six principles. The seventh one is belief. Ooh. And belief is, I think of it like a structure, like a tent. You have to have some kind of a structure underneath the tent to hold it up. I agree. And so, and, and, and you think out of a tree, right? In a trunk, you know, there's structure in that trunk and it helps hold all the performance up. And so belief, and I love this. I don't think I invented it. I think I read it somewhere, but I cannot, I would credit them if I could remember. Okay. At least you're doing it. If that. I did invent it, then hallelujah. But uh, <laughs> I, I love this idea that says, if I believe I can do something, my odds of actually doing that go up dramatically. I agree with that. I've heard but that. If I, don't believe that I can do something. Mm -hmm. the odds of me even getting started are almost nil. Exactly. That's 100%. And so we have to have some foundation about belief as a core principle, right? Do I believe? And we have to go back and through our self-awareness, right? We might go back and say, and some people will say this, well, I just can't learn new things. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I hear that all the time. And so what people have to do is we have to go back. And if you have a coach or a counselor or somebody you can talk to or a spouse or friend or something, you know, especially someone who's known you for a long time, they will help you see, because I guarantee you. So for example, have you ever made a recipe of any kind? Hopefully not everybody cooks out of a box. I just... I find that. I mean, so, I got I, I cook pretty uh, easily, just prop some meat and some vegetables. But yeah, but I, know, I mean, if you call that a recipe, you, I usually sprinkle it with my own little seasonings. I'm like, oh yeah. But other than that, well, that's yeah. beautiful. You don't just open the box and microwave it, though. I try not to. That's, that's only like a, that's only on random nights. So I'm, I'm too uh, right. pushing for time. But usually, I just try to cook easy stuff. There you go. So have you ever though, especially when you were younger and you were you know learning to cook? And you looked at a recipe card or a book or, you know, nowadays a lot of this stuff is online. So yep. you went on to, what is it? I looked at Food something the other day. Yeah. I made zucchini bread the other day and had to look it up, that, that recipe. There you go. So you looked I at this recipe problem. and the first time you tried it, you had this recipe and it has a little tea. But you didn't know the difference between a little tea and a oh, big tea. Oh. So you used the big tea because more is better, right? Sure, always. And you stuck the big tea of salt in that sucker. And oh my gosh, <laughs> can you tell the difference. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. If you've ever done anything like that, and then the nope. second time you made it, you didn't make that mistake, you've proven that you're capable of exactly. Learning. Exactly. And we all have examples of like this in our lives. And so we can learn and we can use that to start this frame, you will, of belief that, okay, I'm a human being, which is the ninth principle. <laughs> um, I'm not a machine. I am not perfect. Yep. I make mistakes. But you know what? As a learning, growing, motivated person, I learn from my mistakes. And I believe that I can do that. And you might have to start really small and take small steps, like that book you were talking about yep. earlier. Right? I think he's gotten famous for taking small steps, yes. right? which is which is good advice. Yep. 
Mm -hmm. right? And so we can take small steps. But what happens is when we take small steps and we succeed or fail and learn, we have more confidence then. We have more belief in our ability. I agree. So then the eighth principle is self-kindness. This is, this is what the research tells us. Say you're going to the gym and you're trying a new exercise, a new machine or whatever it is. You've right. never done that before. Sure. And so you, you know, talk to somebody or, you, you know, looked at a video or, and you learn how to do it right. And you go do it and you screw it up. <laughs> you do it wrong. And then there. is your natural tendency to go, oh, you idiot. Yeah. I can't believe you did that. Right, especially if you get to my age and you strain something, which is much easier to do <laughs> at my age. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the body is less forgiving. But, uh, you know, so then this is a very natural and common thought process. I agree. Here's what the science tells us. This was another kind of a, wow, really? Even though my parents maybe beat up on me or taught me that the way to do better is to beat up on yourself so that you do better next time. Well, I'm here's what that. the research tells us. Beating up on yourself is the key to decreasing your performance. Being kind to yourself as if you were talking to a close friend or family member mm -hmm. is the key to doing better. I would agree with that. Yeah, just talk, right? when I talk down about myself. I notice a decrease in, you know, just my thoughts and just how I'm feeling that day and everything. But, you know, if I can just flip that around, like I have this thing where when I start to get that way, I put a red stop sign to come up in my head and be like, oh, let's turn around, man. So you turn that I thing. That. Right. But yeah, and it, you, it, it really does change the way you think about things. and It changes your you brain feel. chemistry. Mm -hmm. yeah. It does. It's actually amazing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just like you said, nobody wants to look like a fool, like when they try something new, but, you know, going back on your learning thing, it's part of it that most of the time, more times than not, you're going to look like an idiot or a fool when you try something new, but, you know, eventually you stick with it, you'll get better at it. And exactly. You know, don't beat yourself up, but you eventually get that confidence. Exactly. Yeah. I've been there. So, so that self-kindness is a critical principle. The next one, I think you just touched on it. We touched on it a few minutes ago is this idea that I am a human being and we're a part of this common humanity. No matter how obscure you feel like you are or how unusual this mistake that you've made is. So for example, when I was fired, this is just my nature. I felt pretty badly. I mean, I was, I was surprised and blown away. I looked at my wounds for a few days, though, and so I started researching getting fired because that's kind of what I do. Okay. And, and I found out that every single day in the United States alone, over 50,000 people get fired. Wow. Every single day. I would have never guessed that number. 50,000 people are fired or laid off in the United States. Wow. So I... And 49,990, well, not exactly right, sure. but I mean, that many people were fired that day, the same as me. I am not alone in this, right? I have people I can talk to. I have a community that I could reach out to of people who have been fired, and I don't have to carry this alone. Anyway, so this idea of common humanity is both that I'm a human being, 
And as far as I know, there was only ever one perfect human being and the rest of us are flawed. And so welcome to the club. If we make mistakes, if we mess up, we are flawed. It's normal. Exactly, 100%. And secondly, that we don't have to be alone in the process. The most obscure thing. So being fired doesn't sound very obscure anymore, does it? No, not with that number. <laughs> not with that number, no. Yeah. But there are rare diseases where there's like one person in 100,000 who have this disease. So you might think, you know, I'm alone. But in fact, especially in this day and age with the technology that we have, I almost could guarantee that whatever you've got going on, whatever you're dealing you with, find, you can find out. There's some people there's that others. you can talk to who are sharing these circumstances. Yeah. And then you can lift each other, right? Like a close yeah. friend would. As human beings, we can lift each other and help each other then to do better. Exactly. And that's and one thing about that's one thing about living in today's times. If you have one of those rare diseases and one in a hundred thousand, you can easily find out in a matter of minutes. It's, yeah, you know, going down the rabbit hole if you don't mind doing a little research and yeah, and get some help or find out more information or whatever you're looking for. And it's so easy yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the final principle of the 10, I, I, t I titled the chapter mindlessness. Why do you think I would do that mindlessness? I'm guessing the final thing is mindfulness and just to finally put it all together and be mindful of it, of it all. Well, the, frankly, I titled the chapter after I watched the Dr. Phil interview. Do you know who Dr. Phil I is? I know who Dr. Phil is. Yeah. I don't watch it much, but I know your name. He's pretty well known, even if we don't watch him very much. So I'd watched this interview of him. And he was, and this was, you know, I'd written the book basically, and I was, you know, editing and refining and that kind of stuff. And I knew that being mindful was really important. But in this interview, Dr. Phil said, Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about being mindful. And they just went, woo, woo, woo. That's crazy talk, right? And, and, and we have this sense of being mindful means I wear yoga pants and, and love yogurt and I have to light candles. And I've used to think like that too at one point. Yeah, well, and it's not uncommon. And I frankly wrote my book, not for university professors and you know business executives. I wrote my book for kind of frontline everyday workers, the people you know, that keeps the roads paved and sell us our groceries and help us at the Home Depot, at least as best as they can. Sure. You know, these people, these millions of people have to get the most done with the least help. I agree. And so I thought they really, more than people with more resources, need to align their lives with correct enduring principles in order to have the most success that they possibly can. If you have a lot of money, you know, if you're if you're Kanye okay. and you develop a little drug habit, uh -huh. you can hire a manager and a rehab coach and you can go to the most expensive, you know, center in the country and you can still have somebody that's selling your music and somebody else that's doing publicity for you. And, you know, you've got resources to kind of make up for your stupid mistakes. But for most of us, we can't. We got to bear the brunt exactly. of our mistakes, right? Yep, I agree 100%. And so that really means it's really more critical that we align ourselves with these core principles that, frankly, 
are the source of human achievement. These are the source of how we get ahead in life, how we make the most of ourselves and our circumstances, whatever they are. And that was really one of the most beautiful things about this work that I was doing, because I've served mostly lower income populations throughout my career with community health centers, is that it didn't matter your education, it didn't matter your kind of work that you do, it doesn't matter your race, your gender, none of these kind of outside ways that we divide each other make any difference because these principles are applicable to every life and every circumstance, no matter what it is. To me, that was like, wow, you don't have to be rich or famous or you know, have a certain level of whatever it is to do it. Mm -hmm. Nope, it's not necessary. Anybody can start wherever they are at. So if you're up here, you know, you started off as Paris Hilton, your dad is a multi-billionaire, or if you're David down here, who, you know, whose parents got divorced when he was 10, and, you know, your mom is living on, my mom never took welfare, but she worked her butt off at an entry-level job with three boys, and she made it happen. So it doesn't matter where you start from, the only thing that matters is your slope. It's where you're going from wherever it is. And unfortunately, too often, if you if you come from a more affluent circumstance, maybe up here someplace, yeah. we get comfortable. Ooh, good and, point. and what happens then is we don't have any slope. Mm -mm. So what happens if I start down here and I've got slope and somebody else is up there and they don't got any slope? Eventually, right, you're going to pass. The person exactly. started off with better circumstances. And so the only thing that matters for any of us, if we want to live a meaningful, fulfilling, contributing life, is what our slope is. And that means aligning our lives with the principles that, in fact, create that kind of success that we want. And this isn't always, like you said earlier, about money. Success, so I like this, I, and I do remember who I got this from, the late Earl Nightingale, who was a radio host. And he wrote a lot of like motivational stuff. That sounds really familiar. Why do I know that? I'm going to look him up later. Go ahead. There you go. Yeah, yeah Earl Nightingale. Yeah. Deep, yeah, I know that. Booming voice, lovely radio voice. Okay. But, uh, anyways, he defined, I love this definition. So I remember this one. So he said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. Okay, I like that. I love this for a lot of ways because it doesn't mean... I'm achieving everything I set my heart out to do, right? It means I'm making progress. So that's really critical. The joy is in the progress. Think about Christmas. So much anticipation. You're just I'm so excited about, especially as a kid, right? What am I going to get for Christmas? And then the day arrives and you open the package. And as soon as you open it, you go, oh, cool. Yeah, that was nice. Yep. That's you know, and it's not the realization, it's so, the anticipation, it's the lead up. Yeah. And especially in a life of accomplishment, you know, wherever we are starting from again and wherever we're going to is not what's critical, but that we're making progress toward that, be it a specific outcome or probably more important, an ideal. And that's something that's helping us become something rather than just do something right? That is the meaning in life, the joy in life 
That is the success in life. And that is something that any of us, no matter our current circumstances, can enjoy and have. Mm -hmm. And that we could be rich and affluent and not have and be miserable. And there's, you know, on the TV shows, oh, I'd rather be rich and miserable than poor and happy. Well, that's ridiculous. It works in TV shows, but that's not real life. Some of the most amazing people I know, my folks, you know, were middle-class working folks and um they were very happy people yeah. yeah and they loved their life and they they you know they weren't on vacation all the time they never drove a fancy car but who cares that isn't what brings joy to your life exactly right so you look at your foundations what are my values mm-hmm. what brings right? joy? am i aware of what's going on in myself and around me yeah. Am I learning from things that are going on? Am I intentional about what I'm doing? Or have I subsumed my life to the marketers and to my friends and to work and to all these other places, right? Or am I have my own intentions, my own vision for what I want to do and who I want to become? Am I making plans? Am I carrying those out? Am I remembering that I'm a human being and giving myself a break and being kind to myself? And am I, as I touched on and never quite finished, realize that I've got a brain, which scientists have told us is the, bar none now, most amazing creation in the universe. I agree. And we still don't know everything about it. Yeah. We still don't know everything about it either, right? We're still not, new- not even close. Exactly. Not even close. We're scratching the surface. Exactly. Yeah. Trillions of connections in our human brain. So I have a brain. You have a brain. Everybody listening or watching has a brain. So being mindless must not mean I don't have a brain, but it means I am, in fact, not using the most amazing creation in the universe in the ways that I could or that I might. And so when I talk about being mindful, I'm simply begging you, inviting you to use your mind a little bit every day. Use this most amazing creation to help you live a meaningful, fulfilling, connected, and balanced life. And if you will do that and get rid of all the incense and you don't worry about it, you can do incense. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh-huh. You may learn about Ayurvedic and all kinds of cool stuff. Good for you, man. Go for it. But it's not essential, right? What is essential is that we use our mind a little bit every day. Can I leave you with a little gift? Yeah, yeah. Dave, take it take it home, man. We'll uh, plug your book, plug where they can find it, leave us with a gift and all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So this is a simple, mindful practice that anybody can do and that will change your life for the better. Now, I'm not saying you'll have a better job tomorrow or you'll get along better with your girlfriend tomorrow or the day after. <laughs> but in time, yeah, absolutely. In time. Give it time and be patient. So here's the habit. I start my day being intentional. And it's really that simple. So, and if you read my book, it'll, it'll make more sense to you. But yeah. even based on just what we've talked about today, you, you have a sense of, so instead of just letting my day unfold as it just naturally would, right? right. I want to influence my life. 
So my day. So I'm going to be intentional about it, using these principles as a guide. So then you say, I'm going to be intentional in the morning. Five minutes, you can do it in five minutes. And then at the end of the day, whatever your day is, right? If you work night shift, <laughs> you know, you might begin your day at 5 p.m. <laughs> I, you know, I don't care. Adapt any of these things to your life and your situation, right? Right. But end your day, whenever that is, by being accountable. And you don't have to be accountable to anybody else. You can if you want. I think it's beautiful if you have a spouse or a partner who you could do this with. This is just that much better. But even if it's just yourself, at the end of the day, look at what your intent was. You know, this was my intent. And say, how did I do? And be accountable to yourself. I urge you, if you can find a way to do it, and I'll be completely transparent about this. I struggle with this myself. Write something down. Mm, good point. Good, good idea. I mean, I don't. I do review my day. I look at what I want to do. I have a paper calendar. And I'll sometimes make some notes on that. Say, yeah, these are my three objectives. You know, I wanted to get done. And did I get them done? More important, though, is, for example... I have an aspirational value of being meek. Meek, man, why would you yeah. want to be meek, right? So meek is not being timid, right? Meekness is being courageous and bold. But meekness to me means that I assume when I walk into a room, in a virtual room like this or any other room, I am not the smartest person in the room. Okay. And so as I'm talking to Chris or anybody else, I don't care if you have a bunch of letters after your name, if you've written books, if you're famous or you're nothing of those things, there are no letters after your name. <laughs> Nobody knows you except your parents <laughs> and your girlfriend, right? Yeah. I don't care. There is something I can learn from you. To me, meekness is recognizing that I can learn from anybody. Mm, good point. I like that. And so this is something I am aspiring to do, to make it just a part of who I am. And, you know, we work on exercising, right? If I want to build my biceps, I exercise my biceps, right? Yeah. Exactly. And what happens over time if I'm consistent and I exercise my biceps and I do a little more weight, you know, next week I do a little more weight. Up a little bit. They start to build. They start to come up. Yeah, exactly. So the brain has this amazing thing called plasticity. It's, it's not the same process, but it's the same idea. What happens is when I have intentionality in the morning and for you it could be whatever it is right i'm not trying to dictate that for anybody right, right, right. because everybody's in their own situation you need to adapt this to your life your situation your circumstances but anytime you say something i'm going to be intentional about it and you're accountable in the evening and you do maybe remember that a couple times during the day oh yeah i'm trying to be meek and i was just about to think i'm better than this person when that's not true we're just different we're human beings, right? We're a part of this common humanity. We have a different background. We have different circumstances. We have different foibles, flaws, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the key there is that we all have flaws. We know that's true. We already covered that earlier, right? We know yeah. that that's yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, for sure. 
they just might be different. So my flaws are different for you. So that doesn't make me better than you or know you better than me, frankly, right? It just makes us human beings that could maybe learn something from each other because your strengths might be my weaknesses and vice versa. I agree. That makes sense. In the spirit of, if you have an apple and I have an apple and we exchange apples, how many apples do each of us have? Two. How many do each of us have? If I have one and I give it to you and you have one and you give it to me. One. We both have one, right? Yeah. But if I have an idea and you have an idea and we exchange those ideas, how many ideas do we each have? Well, it could be infinity, right? Well, we have at least at that point two. Yeah, but it can go off have, from there. It could go from there. Yeah. It, exactly. Right. And so the mind, that's how it works. By reinforcing a habit today, by being account, by being intentional, and then reinforcing it at the end of the day, I start to build pathways in my mind. So maybe I, I really beat up on myself, right? My self-talk is really bad, and I want to work on that. So I can be intentional in the morning and say, I want to work on my self-talk, right? So I start asking myself questions. Well, what does that look like? You know, and I learned, right? One of those principles is I learned. So as I go and I'm accountable at the end of the day, you know, when I was under pressure and I messed up, I really started beating up on myself. So that's when I need to watch it, right? So I'm learning. So the next morning I'm intentional and I know I've got this conference or this call or this podcast or this, whatever it is, and I'm going to be under pressure. That's when I have a harder time with this. I'm going to be some hint some tip maybe right maybe i'll just gonna take one deep breath before i go, go into it right there you go and then i'm going to try to keep in my thinking brain so anyways you do that at the end of the day did you do okay maybe you did better maybe not right but i'm intentional and every day i go through this process what happens is the brain builds pathways and in about an hour of effort you can double the number of pathways. Oh, wow. So you talked about this kind of idea of infinity and with trillions of options, literally trillions of options in our sure. mind. If I spend an hour, maybe it takes a week or two to get there and I've doubled the number of connections, but then I keep at it another hour of work, if it takes keep. a week or two or whatever, right? Then all of a sudden I've doubled it again. That's four. I doubled it again. That's eight that's or, you know, eight. And I doubled it again, all of a sudden it's 16. I doubled it again, it's 32. 32. All of a sudden, I've got so many connections. I've taken a bush path, turned it into a trail, into a small road, and eventually into a super highway. Awesome. By a tiny bit of effort every day, because that's how every single person who's listening and watching brain, that's how your brain works. And so you build this pathway and what happens when it's a super highway, it's fast. It's automatic. And you know what? You don't have to be intentional about it anymore Ooh. because it's there. It's who you are. And that's why I wrote the title of the book as new you who knew, because this is a simple lifelong process. And unlike my biceps, which, you know, they will never be as big as Arnold's. I mean, you know, it's just not going to happen because there's a genetic capacity there that I lack. And at my age, it's just not going to happen anyway, Maybe even if I days. did, right? Yep. But in the brain, we don't have those limitations. 
I don't care how limited you are, you can double and double and double and double again. And you can make this habit, this intentional part of your life, reality. And then you frankly just live it. And it's just every day. It's just who you are. It's the new you. And you pick something else to be intentional about. And then you practice and you mess up and you practice and you're accountable and you practice. All right. And the same thing over time. And it, and it can take, you know, new habits. Um, there was, I read this for my entire life. I think they said 28 days to develop a new habit. I've heard something like that too. That's bunk. So I'm sorry, that's not evidence-based, but there's evidence that in about 45 days to a year, <laughs> you can develop a new habit. Now, if you're trying to overcome an addiction, for example, give yourself the year, Yeah. right? But if you're just trying to not beat up your, on yourself and your head, you know, try it and see how far you can get in 45 days. Maybe you need another 45 don't beat up yourself, right? Because you're just thinking about that. You were going to about to start to beating up on yourself again, right? Take as long as it takes because it's a journey. And it maybe has no end to it. But you keep working on that. Build those um, connections in your prefrontal cortex and build an amazing life that you're going to be proud of. Love it. I love it. David, this was awesome. Um, if you want to find or if you want to plug your website again and where people can find the book and all that good stuff, feel free to do that right now. So this is what the book looks like. Um, you big circle, it's like the earth. I'm trying to make this a more natural thing here. I like that. Um, and so you can find the book on Amazon right now. Um, it's an ebook, so you can get it you know, digitally and you can get it in paperback. Okay. I didn't do a hardcover because my intent is to make it as affordable as possible. Well, hopefully someday I could make a living doing this, but for now, I think it's 15 bucks for the paperback. I will have an audio book out. I know for a lot of people, that's a nice that's kind me. of, there you go. That's me. And so I have found a great narrator and producer, and we just finished it like a week ago. Um, hopefully within the next week. Um, ACX told me that it takes about 10 days, but uh, then it'll be available on Audible. Okay. Um, and um I, what's the Apple marketplace? Like iBooks or something? Yeah. Oh, like the App Store or? Yeah, it's the Apple Audio Book Marketplace. Oh. Whatever it's wow. called. I don't even remember now either. Anyways. I was just and, and one other place. I should know this better. But anyways, it isn't quite out yet. So don't okay. look for it yet. But I'll put it on my website. So, and if you want to connect with me, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. And then my website is just my name, davidredwards.com. Well, David, thanks for being here. This was a, this was a good conversation. Appreciate it. Chris, that. thank you. I really enjoyed it as well. I, I hope it's a great um, episode or podcast for, uh, for everybody who's thank, listening. I think it's going to be great. So, uh, but again, thank you. And uh, anything else you want to say before we uh, wrap it up, call it a night? I, I thank you. I, and I guess I try to close with this because we don't think of ourselves this way, your, whoever's listening, watching, your life matters. It's important. I don't care what your struggles, your challenges, your circumstances are, your life matters. And so align your life with correct principles, give it time and be patient. You're a human being, not a machine, and your life will, in very fact, get better.
What a marvelous thing to okay. be a human. That's a way to great way to end it right there. So okay, good night everybody. We're out of here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.